0: This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.
1: Welcome to Breaking the Ice Ceiling, a podcast of conversations with women changing the world. I'm Claire Bond, and today I'm delighted to be in the company of Sharon Flager. This is particularly exciting as we're at the start of a 12-month journey together, undertaking the Homeward Bound Leadership Initiative for Women in STEM. That's science... Technology, Engineering, Maths and Medicine, just so you don't have to Google it. We will try to be acronym-free on breaking the ice ceiling, but I make no promises. So, Sharon is a Consultant in Pharmaceutical Public Health at NHS Highland in Scotland, and the NHS lead for the One Health Breakthrough Partnership. Welcome, Sharon.
0: Hi, Claire. Delighted to be here with you today.
1: Super. So I've had the pleasure of listening to some of your recent talks and presentations. And at the start of many of these, you quote Hippocrates, that principle of first do no harm. And you argue that actually medicine is doing harm. And that you see the health of the population and the health of the planet as being intrinsically linked, and this kind of holistic kind of view of how everything works together. And I just really like you to start by explaining a little bit about how you think the health of the population affects the health of the planet and why that kind of holistic view.
0: Okay, I like to think of it as a one health approach so one health means that the health of humans the health of animals and the environment are all intrinsically linked so what we do as humans can harm the planet and planetary change climate crisis can also harm human health so they've got links back to each other so it's really important that we see it as a one health picture and that whilst trying to keep fit and healthy ourselves and access healthcare services, that we try to do that in a way that does no further harm to the planet.
1: So you use this really nice phrase, Sharon, the one health approach. Um, I guess that encompasses both the health of people, animals, the biodiversity and the planet as a whole. And I think that's a, a really, really nice way of, of looking at it. But how do the how do those different elements interlink? I think you have an amazing statistic in one of your talks that says 21% of NHS greenhouse gas emissions come from medicine. And like, how?
0: Mm. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And not so incredible, actually, when you think about the amount of medicines that we use in healthcare. So the use of a medicine is the most common intervention that happens in healthcare. And we can use medicines to diagnose conditions, uh, to treat, to cure, but also prevent. So almost every intervention in the NHS ends up with a medicine at some point. And if I was in front of an audience and I asked people to put their hand up, if they'd used the medicine in the last month, the last year, almost all the audience would have their hands in the air. So medicines use is ubiquitous. Um, Across the UK, um, the amount of medicines um, we use is about 20 billion pounds worth. And in Scotland, it's about 1.8 billion pounds. In Scotland, we prescribe over 104 million prescriptions every year. So you can see that medicines use is massive and it's increasing because the bigger the population gets, the older the population gets, the better technology gets at curing conditions, um, the more medicines we seem to use. But I think that something that comes into that is also about the pill for every ill culture in, in the public's minds. Um, we have so many new tech medicines these days. Um, before, if you got a diagnosis of hepatitis C of HIV or cancer, it was a death sentence. And it's no longer that. We have medicines that can treat it. But also that pill for every ill culture tends to now come into full focus in lifestyle conditions. So if people can't get to sleep, if people are overweight, um, they automatically seem to turn to a medicine in many cases and not their lifestyle changes, um, exercising, eating healthy diets, etc. So we use a lot of medicines.
1: You could describe it, the pill for every ill is that we we really look towards medicine for solutions rather than say, yes, more exercise or a better diet
0: or... I think sometimes medicines are seen as the easy fix um, by the public. Um, I think there's huge public expectation on prescribers. um, And quite often, it's sad to say, but quite often prescribing a medicine in the limited time that prescribers have in their consultations is the easiest thing to do. Um, So I would advocate for um, more use of our blue-green natural resources, get out there in the fresh air. And I think the pandemic has certainly brought that to a fore because... It's seemed that the government has prescribed an hour a day of exercise for people. So we were locked up in our houses, but actually they said we could leave our house for an hour a day for exercise. And certainly where I live, I've seen many more people out on the streets walking during the pandemic. So I hope this is something that's going to stay with people. I was just going to
1: say, it's amazing that you said that, because I think that, um, yeah, exactly the same here. And I've got friends who live in London and there's, there's people jogging up and down the street who like they, they look like they've never left their homes before and I think it was quite it was suddenly like it was almost like it was the only thing you could do so everybody did it and, and I mean really like you I really hope that that kind of um that change stays with people as we as we come out of the pandemic and that that the benefits that um people got from going out for that hour's worth of exercise every day like people really kind of hold on to that and that it becomes part of their lives in the future.
0: Yeah, and I think that prescribing an hour outside each day has benefits for our population, obviously, because people get healthier, um, not only in a physical sense, but we know that being out in nature, going out for a walk is really good for your mental health. And we also are acutely aware that the pandemic has had a huge impact on people's mental health. But getting back to um, the, the benefit Not only will it benefit our population, our people, it'll benefit the planet, because ultimately, if we keep that up, we will potentially be using fewer medicines. And as you said, 21 percent, between 21 and 25 percent of the greenhouse gas emissions in the NHS come from medicines. So how does that happen? Well, that happens really um, partly from the medicine itself, but mainly from the transport of that medicine. So we get um, a lot of the base products for our medicines from places like India and China. So we're transporting them from the other side of the world and then transporting them to all our healthcare facilities so the fewer medicines we use um, the less transport the fewer greenhouse gas emissions we let out
1: yeah i think that's interesting and i don't know if our listeners will will be aware but we have this this concept called the life cycle analysis of, and that can be of any product or any activity and um so if you I guess if you think of a drug, you know, think of all the research trials that it has to go through and all of the chemical kind of research that has to go into going into that drug. And then, as you say, it's then the manufacturer, the greenhouse gases we emit when we manufacture that drug and then the transport of that drug to to people's homes. So actually, when you when you look at the full life cycle from kind of initial concept through to getting that medicine, kind of into somebody's house for them to take it is actually massive, which is, yeah, I guess something we don't really think about.
0: It is. And the life cycle is a really good analogy to use, Claire, because in a life cycle, there are obviously many points that we can make change. So many useful sites in that for interventions and um, People will probably feel that they can't do a lot about the manufacturing of it or the licensing of it themselves. But what we can do as public, as users of medicines, is actually think about whether we need a medicine. So one common example is um, kiddies, They get lots of ear infections. But actually, the best medical evidence tells us that ear infections do not need antibiotics. But as a mum of a screaming baby or a screaming toddler, all you want for them is to stop screaming and feel better. So mums tend to make that journey to their doctor to get a prescription and prescribing for ear infections has gone down dramatically in the past years. But I think it's still a message that we've got to get out there that quite often a medicine isn't the right treatment for you. There are lots of other things we can do so yeah. we can we can intervene ourselves in that part of the life cycle. And then another interesting thing, if we actually do get the medicine, um, when we take a dose of a medicine, um, The medicine actually, and along with its metabolites, comes out in our wee and our poo. And that wee and poo goes down the toilet into the drainage system and ultimately ends up in our oceans and rivers. So, again, we've got a part to play there because um, we must think about how we, whether we need the medicine. If we don't need the medicine, then it won't be coming out in our wee or our poo. But we're not telling people not to take medicines because lots of people need medicines for many reasons. But if you do have a medicine and you have any left over in your cupboard, any out-of-date medicines, then whatever you do, please don't flush it down your loo, because it'll go straight into the um, wastewater system again and straight into our oceans. So please do take it back to a community pharmacy, a chemist on the high street, and they'll get rid of it safely for you.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that we've now left from kind of greenhouse gas emissions and kind of the impacts of medicines on climate change to the impact of pharmaceuticals on pollution more broadly and, our, and the environment that we we share with other animals and plants and the importance of our stewardship of the earth I suppose well I, I was going to say that my daughter well will like this podcast but she have mentioned the loo you've mentioned poo and you've mentioned wee but I think <laughs> I mean the truth is is that um these compounds that are in medicines, they're not stripped out in our normal filtration processes as we as we process waste. Um, so they do get into um, the marine biodiversity and and they can make their way also back into the into the human food chain. You know, it, as you were saying, it's really important that we dispose of these medicines very carefully so that they don't affect the biodiversity um, of our planet in adverse ways. And is there much, can you just say a little bit about how much evidence there is for medicine getting into other species or affecting species?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so, So I think that the pharmaceuticals and the environment bit and the greenhouse gas bit of medicines are really closely linked because they both affect climate change ultimately. So people tend to think of climate change as a net zero agenda, and we've got to reduce our greenhouse gases. But actually, a huge part of climate change is biodiversity and the loss of it. And if we lose our biodiversity, if we lose our environment, we won't have a planet on which to live. So we won't have that net zero agenda because none of us will be alive and the planet will not be able to um, hold life, secure life for animals, humans or aquatic life. So so why is why why is water important in climate change? Um that biodiversity actually. um the the ocean itself holds 90% of all life on the ocean, all life on the planet, sorry, and. Um, already we've lost quite a lot of the life in our oceans, and if we keep on losing life in our oceans, we lose the oxygen to the planet. And again, people think that trees are the big oxygen providers for the planet, but actually plankton make up 70% of our oxygen production and they absorb 50% of our carbon dioxide. So it's really in all of our interests to keep our oceans clean. And it's not just about being clean, it's about what we're doing to the wildlife in the oceans. So there's lots of evidence um, about how medicines, how pharmaceuticals in the environment actually impact on our wildlife. Um, much of it is around fish or aquatic life. Um, we have seen the feminization of fish. And that means that um, our male fish um, have female sexual org- organs. Now, that's not too good for sex and reproduction. And I think your daughter's really going to love this podcast now, because now we're talking about pee, poo and sex. So um, if we have a fish population that's only got females, then we lead to population collapse. So we lose the fish in, in the um, food chain. And that's, that's not good for us as humans either because many of us actually eat fish. Um, we also know that pharmaceuticals in our water um, cause fish to change their behaviors. So they can change their behavior. They can change their physical form. Um, some of those examples include um, migratory patterns, um, fish becoming less aggressive, um, We have had an example of salmon smolts, so baby salmon, in our rivers being exposed to a drug called oxazepam, and that's one of the benzodiazepine family, um, one of our anti-anxiety drugs. And the thing with medicines is that they're designed to have a biological effect on humans and on animals, so they're going to still have that biological effect if they go into our our oceans and our rivers. And what happened with these baby salmon was they took this anti-anxiety drug and when we prescribe it in humans, we want to feel calmer. And of course, the baby salmons felt calmer as well. So what they did was begin to migrate much, much earlier than they should have. And they left their riverbeds and went out into the sea. And that results in them being eaten up again. So they haven't got the development. They haven't got the maturity to fend for themselves. So again, that leads to population loss. But we also have evidence where sludge from our wa- wastewater treatment plants um, is used to fertilise land. Now, if that residual sludge has got pharmaceuticals in it and it's laid on the land as a fertiliser, then it's going to be absorbed um, into the soil and into our vegetables. So there have been instances where carrots and lettuce, for example, do, do contain pharmaceuticals. And then as humans, if we eat those, um, it's another way of us ingesting uh, pharmaceuticals. So it, it is a worry. Um, we need to protect our oceans our rivers and the life that's in them
1: it's a it's a very scary picture actually that you paint there Sharon of this and a, it's also a picture that I think you know takes us back to the start and that it's that one health health of the population health of the planet health of life on the planet more generally in our biodiversity they are also intrinsically linked and it's not just yeah that it's not just a simple single solution. everything is interlinked, and we we all need to take care of of what we're doing and think about the health of the planet as well as the kind of health of ourselves um, and I really like for me what one of the things that's coming out of this conversation is this kind of power of the collective effort um so you can ask you know what what can I do? me do i really need to take that medicine i've got this waste medicine i can take it back to the chemist on the high street rather than flush it down the loo um and you know the bigger the bigger companies can look at their kind of supply chains and how they manufacture things to maybe decrease greenhouse gases there and how they also deal with their own wastes and activities so you know there is this quite powerful potential for people to really work together at a lot of different levels to affect change and um, that brings me back to Homeward Bound and this exciting initiative that um, Sharon and I have just started um, and one of its kind of little tags for Homeward Bound is, is stronger together and I think one of the most exciting things for me is meeting you Sharon and the 99 other women who were involved in this year's Homeward Bound initiative and and learning a little bit about them and what motivates them. So, yeah, I guess I'm really interested to know um, what made you apply for Homeward Bound and and kind of why now? What made you kind of step up and take the challenge now?
0: Wow, good question, Claire. So if I, I'll tackle the question you've asked, but first of all, I'll give you my reflection on the first session that we've already had because we've started Homeward Bound. We're on this incredible journey together. And in the first session, we had a kind of speed dating session where we met people and they asked us um, what drives us. And my immediate answer to that was making things better for people and making a difference. And I guess that's why I applied. And, you know, I'm quite a way down my career. Um, I'm not one of the younger researchers that has joined Homeward Bound. I've been there. I've done a lot. Um, but there's still an incredible amount to do. And this agenda of pharmaceuticals and the environment, um, even though it's been around for two decades, more than two decades in research, it hasn't reared its head in healthcare. care. Um, and I've been trying to get that message out for the last three years. And... The climate crisis is going to have a big impact on healthcare. There's going to be more demand for healthcare services. And with that demand, we have more opportunity to create even more harm for the planet. So I want us to have sustainable healthcare services, ones that help our patients, but ones that help our planet too. And I guess my strapline is. Um, my vision is that I want to do for pharmaceuticals in the environment, for medicines use, what David Attenborough has done for plastics in the ocean. Now, it wasn't until David Attenborough showed us those heartrending photos of turtles um, being strangled by plastic necks, nets, fishing nets, um, by seagulls, stomachs being full of plastic that they'd eaten, that it really got to the hearts and minds of the population and people started to think of plastic as a serious issue. So I want people to start thinking of this as a serious issue. Um, don't want to scare people because medicines are very safe to take um, for humans and animals. Um, they do have this effect on the environment, but we can get around that. We can mitigate it. And some of the work that I'm working on is is greening medicines use. So if we've got medicines, two medicines that do the same thing, cost the same amount of money to the NHS, I want to choose the one that's got the... Uh, less harmful impact on the environment so there's stuff that I can do for prescribers there's stuff that I can do for patients I can work with the pharmaceutical industry and I guess I just wanted to build that worldwide network of people who've got the same passion for climate change and for making a difference and for leading as women and that's essentially why I've applied for Homeward Bound and why I'm finding it so exciting. Awesome so
1: I've got one last question for you, Sharon, and that is what would you say to young women who enjoy science, technology, engineering, math and medicine, who want to make a difference in the world and who are maybe maybe they're at school just thinking about the subjects they want to take. Maybe they're at university, but they're kind of, yeah, they're about to launch off on their their lives and their careers in that sense. What do you have a, a message to that?
0: I've got a very simple message and also a little bit of a story about me that might help them. So my message is just three words. Go for it. And the story about me, when I came to Highland for my interview, uh, the chairman chair lady of the board Mm -hmm. um, actually asked me if you were an animal, what type of animal would you be? And I've probably got my um, my environmental biology wrong, but I said I'd be a woodpecker. So I'd be a bird. And she said, why, why are you, why would you be a woodpecker? And I said, well, I think that I am a woodpecker because if something doesn't happen, if I've got a vision for something and that thing doesn't happen straight away, I just keep pecking away at it. And I come from that tree at different angles until it does happen. So everything's possible. Everything's possible by young girls and young women. So just go for it.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sharon. So from pee, poo, loo, and sex, to this vision of One Health, which is about the health of individuals and the population and the health of our planet in a very holistic view. Um, Thank you so much for joining Breaking the Ice Ceiling. And I'm so looking forward to sharing this 12-month adventure with you. Thank you, Sharon. Mm, Me
0: too, thanks, Claire.